The 12th, and I always quite want to have a proverb, so um, I've chose verse 28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. That's pretty cool. That's a good one, Proverbs 12, 28. We've been in the book of Acts studying the life of the Apostle Paul, and uh, where we last left off, he had been on a missionary journey. And I was kind of excited because, you know, I love to have maps. So I finally get to use the pictures in my Bible, and the only pictures my Bible has are maps. So I figured I'd toss one in for you again so that you could look at a picture. I hope you like this. You're not smiling enough. This is not, must not be an exciting enough picture. But anyway, here's a picture that just kind of shows where the Apostle Paul went on his first missionary journey. He, uh, he, he left from Antioch, which is in the lower right-hand corner. And to be confusing, there's another Antioch up in the middle. It's a different Antioch. Anyway, so he leaves Antioch, and he takes off, and he goes down to the island of Cyprus, and he works his way up to the other Antioch, and, and Iconium, and Derby, and this is not the, that, that important. But those are the places where he got into these conflicts, and at one point he was stoned and left for dead, and got up and kept going. And after all of this, he kind of makes a beeline straight for Jerusalem, and we're going to talk about that. He had a pretty good reason to go there today. Uh, first, before we get into this, I want to just remind you about where we were at last week. We talked about um, uh, this process, this ministry process that the Apostle Paul demonstrates over and over again. You'll see this pattern that always shows up, and um, it's this, that, that we first communicate the good news. We share, we speak it out loud with somebody somewhere about God's plan for salvation, and then there's always opposition. There's always an opposition that comes up against that. But if we persevere, if we push through, that's when we'll see fruit and, and God will get glory. That's basically the process over and over again. And if you were here last week, you'll remember we talked about this whole process that everybody wants that fruit, but sometimes we stop a little bit short and um, the per- pressing through holds us up. But, we, but, but if you want to get to the fruit, you have to press past the opposition. And, um, you know, I, I think you, you could have heard last week's message and had a really legitimate question, you know, about persevering through, you know, to say, you know, is that it, Terry? I mean, really? Persevere? Just gut through it? Just hang on? Just white-knuckle it, Terry? Is that really, you know, all that is? is and, and maybe you're asking the question that's really legitimate. Can, can God only be big after the uh, opposition? It, can't God be big in that opposition? That's a legitimate question. And... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, he can be big in the opposition. And that's what today's message is about. I, uh, today's message is that God is bigger than our opposition. He's bigger than my opposition. And in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is facing some pretty serious opposition. Every, every so often, as we read through the book of Acts, you know, every so often I'll have a Christian come to me, and, and I, I don't mean to be denigrating anyway, but I, but I consider this question a little bit naive because they'll come and they'll say, hey, What's, what's wrong with the modern church? Andy, hi. <laughs> Two friends that I haven't seen because he works at another church, and so it's a blessing to have you in church. Completely took me off my track. <laughs> hi. Two friends, I love you both. It's great to see you guys. Okay, sorry. Anyway, didn't mean to embarrass you. That's a terrible thing to do. But Andy, can, you can man up under the embarrassment. Anyway, anyway so um, I, every so often a Christian will say, you know, hey, why can't the church be like, you know, what, what happened in, in the book of Acts? Because everything was perfect then. Everything, there was no trouble. There was, everybody got along and, um, you know, 
you know, I'll say, wait, 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 what do you mean? Just like the book of Acts. And that's what I'll hear. I'll say, oh, everything was perfect. There wasn't any conflict. There were no real problems. And, and um, you know, so why can't we just get back to that? And, and so I thought, well, wait a second, you know, um, I, it's real easy. I did a little bit of research. This was very easy. This is low-hanging fruit. But I thought, what kind of conflicts did the Apostle Paul face? And I started realizing as I looked through the Word of God, there is so much of it that if we talked about that topic alone, it would take today's whole message. I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to give you some of the conflicts he was involved with where, with other people, where they mentioned those other people in the New Testament by name. Okay? So I'm just going to rattle some of these examples off. Okay, he, he butted heads with Peter. The Apostle Peter, you can read about that in Galatians 2. He basically was, was in, in Peter's grill because he was a hypocrite. For, he wouldn't sit down and eat with the non-Jews, with the, um, the Gentiles in, uh, in, in, in Antioch. And there was this guy we talked about a couple weeks ago, Elimus the magician. He, we talked about that. There were some converted Jews um, who, um, and, and, and the, he had come conflicts with them about what, um, what would be required of people if they got saved. We're going to talk about that some more today. Um, there were the Pharisees at the Jerusalem Council, same topic. He had what's called a sharp disagreement with a guy named Barnabas. We're going to read about that. And they both disagreed about a guy named John Mark. Um, there were this, these guys in the church in Philippi who had this slave girl, and she had a spirit of divination. And he had a conflict with them because when he chased that spirit away, it kind of killed their cash cow. They lost their money source. They were pretty upset. Paul and Silas were dragged um, to the authorities in Acts 16. Um, there were this Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers in Athens that um, he had a conflict with. You can read that in Acts 17. There's a guy named Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander, the, he gets mentioned by Paul in 2 Timothy. He says, this guy did me much harm. Beware of him because he has greatly resisted our words. So he had conflict with Alexander the coppersmith. He had opponents in Corinth. In fact, the whole church in Corinth, opposed Paul at one point. There was a Roman commander who wanted to, to whip him and scourge him and until he found out that he was a Roman citizen then he was afraid, but he had conflict. There was um, the Sanhedrin he, he cracked heads with, Governor Felix, Governor Festus, a guy named Agrippa, Bernice, I'm going to move along here, his shipmates. To, to, uh, here's, here's some good names for you parents or parents to be. Hymenius, Hymenius and Alexander, you know, okay, some, he had, for their teaching, a guy named Demas. There, there was conflict after conflict after conflict. That's just a partial list. Why can't the church go back to the book of Acts, Pastor Terry? Everything is so calm and, you know, really? Really? I mean, the only place that's perfect is called heaven. I mean, it's the only place. I'm looking forward to going. Anybody looking forward to going to heaven? I mean, I mean, I'm excited to get there. There we will be known, even as we are known. We will be loved, even as we are loved. But for now, we kind of battle ourselves. We battle our sins. We battle our selfishness. But God is bigger than the opposition in our life. And as we get into scriptures, we're going to see, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to come up with five um, principles about how to deal with conflict. So today, that's what we're going to talk about how to deal with conflict. You conflict with your spouse or your sister or somebody in your family or maybe conflict with somebody in your small group or in your church or, um, you know, what should I do when I'm at some point of disagreement? You know? Now, don't, 
don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have some opposition in your life? You have some, some conflict? You know, are there some relational differences between you and you know, people that are causing strain and pain in your life? And you ask yourself, how, how am I supposed to handle this? And even before we get into the list, I want to suggest something to you that I think Jesus would suggest, and that is before we get to the list and these examples here, Number one thing is just, just, you could just let it roll off. You could just, just kind of let it go. I mean, I mean, you're not perfect. Oh, come on, smile back at me. It's like, I mean, I'm not meaning it, but, but, but I mean, you, 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 we've got our own, you know, when somebody says something or does something and they hurt you or they offend you, come on, you're not perfect either. You, you, could, you could just let it go. I mean, I could say to you right now, turn to the person next to you and look them in the eye and say, let it go. But that might be dangerous because I don't know what happened on the way to church today. So I'll just say it to you. Let it go. Just let it go. And if you can't just let it go, well, then maybe you need to pray about it. If you roll it off of your back onto Jesus' back, and maybe he'll help you let it go. Just pray about it. If you can't let it go, pray about it. And and yet maybe you'd say, you know what? That's just not going to get the job done here today, Terry. There's some things that, you know, you just can't let it go. There's something really, really important at stake. Okay, and I get that. So if something is really, really important, and um, I think there's some help here in Acts chapter 15, things that we can do, um, what should I do? Number one is this. Okay, I need you to stay with me on this one. Locate a consensus of authority. Big words, Hard, hard to get simple words here, but I'm, I'm going to unpack that for you. If there's a strong disagreement with somebody and you just cannot get it resolved by letting it roll off your back in prayer, um, uh, locate a consensus of authority. Okay, so here we go. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Here's what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Here we go. Here we go. It's, it's, it's something, here's a thought for you as we kind of consider that teaching. Um, way, way, way too many decisions get made in isolation. So if you're making an important decision and you're isolated, you ought to consider whether that's the best format for you. But that's um, a rabbit trail I'm not going to go down. I want to give you some context here about this topic of circ- circumcision. Um, you probably know what it is, but basically it was commanded of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. It was commanded. Um, you know, every male had to be circumcised on the eighth day, okay? It was a, it was a way of marking you as a member of the, uh, of the Jewish nation, and, and these people were really, really serious about it. I mean, they were pretty serious about it. There were basically no uncircumcised male, you know, in, in the Jewish nation. And it was a very, very important mark on the flesh about a covenant between um, God and, 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 and Abraham. And they basically, those who had the mark, looked down on those who did not. It was, it was very, very serious. You remember um, in the story, you might remember David and Goliath, there's this verbal thing going on before they get physical. And you remember what David says to him? He calls me, he says, he says you uncircumcised filth, right? Remember that? I mean, them's fighting words. He couldn't think of a worse insult. This is how serious these guys take this. And, and, and when the gospel starts to spread outside of the Jewish nation to the Gentile people, instead of 
rejoicing about the fact that these people had, had, had understood something about God's love and, and the, the openness to it and getting all excited with these Gentiles. They, they started to say, hey, 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 okay, but you got to, you know, and they started getting sideways about this topic, about this surgery that they felt had to be added to the topic of being saved. Now, that's a pretty big conflict, and um, so let's continue on verse 1. But some of the men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, <laughs> it's a very polite way of saying, man, they got into it, okay, with de- and debate with them. I mean, these, they, went out, they had it out. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed. They're, they're thinking, you know, we can't work this out. We cannot settle our disagreement here. And these are important issues because every side believes they're right. Both sides believe they have the Bible backing them up, or God's word backing them up. And um, they're not going to back down, so they're trying to figure, what are we going to do? Okay, notice what they did. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Man, I, I, I compliment these guys. They were absolutely certain they were right, both sides. And notice, though, they called it a question. I mean, they had this question, they were debating it, and instead of going to Jerusalem to prove you're wrong, you know, they're, they're going to go and they're going to lay it before this greater consensus of authority. We're going to go and try and get an answer to this topic. I respect that so much. It's really important how this is. Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, con- the, convers- the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, he Interesting note. Even Pharisees can get saved, right? (laughs) Too close to home, huh? Okay. Um, Even Pharisees. Okay. Um, Rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So now they got to keep all the law and they got to be circumcised to be saved. Man, and remembering these, these religious Pharisees, these are saved people. These are Christians. They're, they're, they've converted from Judaism. You know, sometimes when a person gets saved, you know, by the Holy Spirit, they are saved. But they still have with them bad and old patterns of thinking. It, it, I wish that it would just be this magic thing, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't for you. They get saved, but there's this, you know, and, and, and you know, here, here, here at Crossroads, you know, we, we typically have... Um, uh, close to 200 people, sometimes a little over 200 people total on a Sunday morning. I'm telling you, 200 people who come here, a couple hundred, 150, whatever the number is, and there's that many different opinions and approaches to most issues in life. And there might be some agreement, but there's lots of variation. And, um, you know, some people would come to those topics with great humility, and other people would come to those topics with strong unbending conviction. It's just, it's just how people are. Well, here's something that would, here's some salt, maybe some light that needs to go into that, that little soup 
Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with people. As much as you can. You, you be at peace with people around you. Two, here's two scriptures. You know, how do we keep our church together? How do we live, peace? we live peaceably as much as we can with all men? And when dissension comes up, what do we do? We do like they're doing here, and they locate this consensus of authority. We, we take our disagreement to a greater level of authority. This means people who, we go to people who know more than us. We go to people who, who are more experienced than us. We go to people who have studied more than us, people who, who we're supposed to respect and esteem, okay? I mean, we take it to a covering. If you're a child, your parents are your covering, you know? Um, they're, you know. We can go to a spouse. In a church setting, you can go to your table leaders in the women's Bible study or a small group leader or a ministry department head or one of the pastors, you know, you take it to your, your, you know, the Lord has put coverings in your life. You know that, right? I mean, are you okay with that? Are you okay that God has put God-placed authority? Don't answer that out loud because I don't want to hear no, okay? <laughs> I mean, are you okay? Ask yourself that question. Are you really okay that God has put some God, of his design, authorities in your life? Or does the thought of authority chafe, you know? Does it insult you that maybe some other people have spent more time in God's word and maybe they have a better command of light and life than what you presently have and as a point of growth? Does that offend you? I hope it doesn't, um, you know, because that's how they became leaders in, in, in God's kingdom because they invested in learning some of those things. And it doesn't just come. It doesn't just kind of float into people. I mean, people invest themselves in the things of God, and that's how they become leaders, and that's how they become, you know, they become pastors. And I, I'm thankful for the people in this room, many people here who have way better command of the Word of God than I have, and they speak into my life. And there are people around you who, I mean, I am grateful for people who become a, stu- a student. And I really believe that nine out of ten people have no trouble at all with God-placed authority in their lives. They, they look at it and they go, I, I feel safe here. This blesses me. It's a help to me. And, um, you know, and, and it happens in the context of a loving relationship. The problem isn't the nine out of ten. The problem is the one out of ten. You know, it's the person who will not submit to the loving counsel of God and God's word, or a friend. And when you get into that circumstance, you know, like they did in Acts 15, you locate a consensus of authority. Okay, now, I should comment this. A consensus of authority is not your peers. It's not your peers. Verse 3, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That was verse 5. Verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So, what do you think they were doing? I mean, I, I, I think they were probably, you know, probably they were searching the scriptures. They probably talked about it. They may have even prayed about it. You know, there's, there, it's always good to seek God's wisdom for help. And a common mistake that people make when conflict comes, comes up is they turn to authority without consensus, okay? I mean, if you've ever 
been sick enough that you needed to go to the doctor and it was something particularly serious, have you ever considered, or you know the concept of a second, a second opinion, right? There is nothing wrong with getting a second opinion from another spiritual authority. Nothing wrong with that. There is no one person who has a lock in the corner on the mind of God. There is nothing wrong with you go to a spiritual, somebody who you consider a spiritual head, your table leader or, or whatever, and you get a spiritual you know, viewpoint and you're not quite sure. There's nothing wrong with going to another person and, and finding out whether the Holy Spirit speaking to both of them the same thing. Nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, and it's appropriate, even in church. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I really want to encourage you that that's, it's good to get a consensus. And some people turn to authority without con- consensus. Other people turn to consensus without authority. You know, oh, I just got a bunch of my friends together and we talked it over. You know, really? Really? That's your upgrade? You went to your buddy for wisdom? <laughs> Don't just turn to consensus. Turn to consensus with a greater authority and, um, you know, with, with, with genuine authority. And I want to say on behalf of the pastors and the leaders of this church that, you know, there are, very, there are a lot of wonderfully gifted and mature people present in this church that you can turn to. I mean, there are plenty of people you, that you can look to and with whatever that thing is that's troubling you, they will love you with the truth and with life. They're, they're around you. And I just want God to be bigger than the opposition in your life. You know? So, okay, locate a consensus of authority. Second thing about handling conflicts in your life is this. Listen to God's heart in the matter. Here we go, verse 7. And after there had been much debate... Now, that word, by the way, it's a, it's a legal term. If, if you were to dig it out, it's kind of a legal term. It, it, they're going around and around, and, and, and it's like, like, we need to take a break here. You know, they're, it's pretty hard. Peter stood up and said to them, now, <laughs> you know, Peter, Peter starts with, I, I think, he, he does a really good thing here as a way to settle opposition, and he's, he's assessing that things are kind of getting out of hand here. Um, and so let's, let's start out with what we know. Let's start out with, with what we agree about. Have you ever noticed how conflict will accelerate if you start out with what you disagree on? You never can make progress. All of a sudden, you light the fire and off it goes. I mean, but there's a lot that we agree about. And when there's contention, if you and those with whom you are dealing can start with, okay, let's get to some common ground here. What do we agree with? Many times that will set the tone that we're in, in partnership, you're seeking something rather than in opposition. I can see he's doing something really good here. He stands up in this very relational way, and with real wisdom, he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And in God, who hears the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He's, he's basically saying that should help you figure out how God feels about these people, you know. You know, the, the, you want to put this religious burden on, you know. He gives them the Holy Spirit just like he did us. Verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? There's some insight, right? There's some wisdom. He's saying, you know, you're asking them to keep the law. We can't even keep the law. You know, fantastic, well done. 
He's listening for God's heart in this matter. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Time out. That's how you assure that you will spend eternity in heaven. Not by how you live, not by the things you do, not by the rules you keep, not by coming to church, not by giving money, not by helping a, you know, helping a little lady across. That is not going to get you to heaven. Scripture says that everyone falls short. Every person, every person has failure in, life, in their lives. God is a perfect and a holy God. And there is just no way to combine our imperfection with God. And that's what heaven will be. We will be spending eternity with a perfect God. Well, how is that going to work? Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Someone somehow has to pay the price for our failures to be perfect. And, and there's just no way for us to do it. That's where Jesus comes in. God says, you know what? I love you people so much. I'm going to send my son to take care of this and to pay the price for your sins. That's the whole thing about Jesus. That's the whole thing about salvation. It's not about church attendance. It's not about joining a church. It's about recognizing that I am incapable of being right with God. The only way I can be right with God is to accept his method for making me right with him, and that's his son. Jesus has said it himself, no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. Now, a lot of people in this world are putting their stock in other ways. It's a deal. Anyway, so they get it here. This is really fantastic. He's stepping back and he's listening and getting God's heart in the matter. You know, if you, if, if you want to get through, if you want God to be bigger than the opposition that you're facing. You do that too. Locate a consensus authority and listen for the heart of God in the matter. Now, because we're a Bible-believing church, because we like to pursue truth, not relative truth, but, but true truth, um, you know, and we're fired up about the truth here, I want to give you a warning. This is a warning. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Our risk, being a place that pursues truth, is that we'll become letter lovers. We will love the letter of the law, and in the process of doing so, we will kill people around us that need the Spirit. And um, I mean, I'm, I can t- tell you personally, I think I was that person at one point in my adult life, you know? And God has graciously worked in my heart to, to more and more be a person of grace and, um, and truth at the same time. And I'm just going to mention, this is the risky part of the message, I'm just going to mention a few topics which will probably offend you. Pull your toes in so I don't step on them too easily. I don't mean to offend you, but I'm going I'm to give you some examples, topics about which we tend to mess up, fail a little bit when it, becomes, when it comes to the issues of the spirit versus the letter. I think one of the most common ones today for the church is on the topic of homosexuality. You know, 
Crossroads Church needs to be loving, the, the most welcoming, redeeming place where anyone can embrace Christ. You know, it doesn't matter what category of sin a person will struggle with. And it just needs to be a place where it's really, really important, church, that we, we understand the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit. By the way, I'm going to trust what the word of God says about the topic with love. I'm not going to let society redefine truth for me. Here's another one. If that didn't step on your toes sufficiently, you know, scripture says God hates divorce, right? Right? True. But there is, that's not the only thing God hates. You know? God hates manipulative, punishing, you know, abusive relationships. God, God hates spouses that sleep with their back turned to their mate, pretending to love them when their love for their mate is so far from the love and the life that scriptures say marriage ought to be. You know? Yeah, okay, you're still married, you're still faithful, but are you loving? Are you gracious? Are you kind? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You know, sexual, here's another, sexual immorality is sin, right? I mean, but so, but, but so is gluttony. So is gossip. So is racism. I mean, I could go on with this big, long list. Um, you know, I just want to say, God, forgive us for coming up with a list of standards to measure people around us that are just the things that we aren't failing at. That God, you know, help us to hate the sin that's in our own heart the most. Because the letter kills and the spirit gives life. You know, the greatest commandment is to love. um, To love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 tells us that that, that love is the fulfillment of the law. And um, to, to fail at loving people is to fail at God's word. And the danger here, okay, so I got to qualify this too, because the danger here is that, that somebody's going to twist, or, you know, people will do that. They'll twist this phrase, they'll use God's heart to twist scripture. I, I want you to know, I believe the word of God states his will very clearly. It's right here, okay? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not apologizing for anything that the Bible says. I'm just saying that don't just get the letter, Get the spirit of the law. Everybody say both. Both. Both are important. Both are important. You know, if you have one without the other, you're incomplete. You're just incomplete. People who are right, you know, about an issue, but wrong about the way they, they take it to someone else, are wrong. You can be right about the letter of the law and be wrong because of the way you aren't loving. Anyway, I've done that. I've been right about the issue and been wrong in the way I've gone to people. And, and it's just, you know. Okay, so um, what do we do in those situations? We, we locate a consensus of authority. We listen for God's heart. And number three, we look to Scripture, God's Word, for confirmation. We go back to the Word of God, and that's what's going on here. Verse 12. And all the assembly felt silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through, uh, through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he starts quoting, in this case, he's quoting from Amos 9, um, 11 and 12, confirming. He says, 
This is a quote from Amos 9. After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and will restore it and the remnants of mankind may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who are, I don't mean to be glossing over this, but he's reading the scripture, you know, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So this is Acts 15. So they quote from scripture. And, and they're confirming here that God wanted the gospel to go to the whole world. Now, I know that's not the issue that you came today trying to figure out. I've got to sort this out, God. Did you really want the gospel to go to the whole world? I know that is not why you're in church today. Um, so sometimes to get something out of God's word, you have to be able to draw out the principle, right? You see that right here. So the principle in this issue that, that we're facing is they went back to the word of God to confirm what they believed was right for confirmation. And so you have to. I have to. We have to go back to God's word for confirmation about things that we feel real strongly about. You've got to get it from the word. I mean, I think it grieves the Holy Spirit when we choose preference or opinion over his word in order to build a doctrine. It just, it's not good. Okay, so we locate a consensus of authority. We listen for God's heart. We look to scripture. And number four, Learn to compromise where you can. Now, I hope you never, ever hear me use the word compromise about God's word. Don't think you ever will. Um, but frequently, you should hear me talk about compromise in regard to relationship. Never, ever about God's word as a lot, frequently, about relationship. Verse 19 Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. That's a very gentle way of him saying, you know, we're not going to require them to be circumcised. The word troubled here means to frustrate or to aggravate them. Okay, we shouldn't aggravate these people. We're not going to aggravate those Gentiles who have turned to God by making them do some surgical procedure that makes everybody cringe. Okay, verse 20. But should write to them... <laughs> to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, <laughs> this is shocking. I mean, it's kind of hard for us to grasp how shocking this really is, and I'm going to try and you know, make a pass at us understanding this. Um, it's like, you know, we're not going to make them be circumcised, but here's a, a list of four things we are going to make them do. Huh? How can you make them do any of these things? They're not required somewhere else in the New Testament. What's that all about? Imagine, you know, abstain from things strangled and, and abstain from blood. What, you know, don't you kind of tilt your head sideways, you know, like a dog? Or a cat, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's just trouble for me. I'm going to back away from any references. Um, just, okay, a picture, just an imagination for you. Just imagine some Sunday, and maybe something like this has happened to you at some point. You're in church, and a woman comes in and sits next to you, and she's She's filthy. She's dirty. She's smelly. She's loud. You know, maybe she's drunk. 
but she gets saved. It's okay. We love babies here. We do, precious little one. Bless this baby and her mama and the family. So this woman who is highly offensive and breaks every social parameter comes in and sits next to you and somehow in that service she gets saved. Now what? I mean, God 100% forgives her. He 100% wraps his arms around her and says, Mine! Scripture actually says, this is a paraphrase, there's a party going on in heaven. The angels are happy about what's going on in the seat next to you. We, we can't demand that she gets washed up for God's sake. He's already, he's already as happy as can be about this. You know, but somebody maybe in the next few days is going to help her clean up a little bit, maybe, for our sake. Okay, I mean, does she have to do that? No. No. But it might be helpful, right? It, it, it might be helpful. And that's what's going on here. Here's, here's the deal. Abstaining from food offered to idols, 1 Corinthians 8 tells you that that's, you have no trouble. You can go ahead and eat what you want to eat. It's not even prohibited in the scriptures. You know. But but scripture does tell us don't glory in it, don't shove it in somebody else's nose. Abstaining from things strangled. That has to do with the blood still being in the animal and you know, sexual These these were things that were very, very, very difficult for these people to live with. I mean, these were just social, really big deals. Pardon me for a second. Still getting over my pneumonia. So I'm hitting a bottle <laughs> of water. For those who are listening to the message, that's not funny. This is an example of my immaturity. Mom, why didn't you raise me better? It's that woman's fault. That's terrible. <laughs> I love you, Mom. I'm proud of my mom. Um, you know, these are, these are topics that socially for the people in this culture were very, very difficult for them just to overlook. And, you know, they didn't ask these people to not eat this food sacrifice to idols, you know, on the basis of God's word commands it. They were being asked to do this, you know, it's kind of like, can we just maybe get along? It's, it's sometimes for the sake of preserving something, that's more important. You compromise. Here's, here's some times when you can compromise. Just a quick suggestion. You can, you can compromise in matters of personal preference. I didn't want olives on the pizza this time. Okay, I know you like olives. At least it's not mushrooms. Fungus growing underneath a house on a log. Don't put that on my pizza. You can have your olives. Or here's another one. When the consequences of self-discovery would be devastating to the person. Do you have to tell them right away? I mean, there's a place there for grace. You, you, you know, times you can compromise. How about when you can give that person some time to figure things out? You can compromise. 
You know, as a parent, you know, it's my way or the highway. Sometimes that's not the right way. I'm not suggesting to change the standards of of righteousness in your household. I'm just saying, consider your approach. Sometimes your child needs some time to catch up to your level of maturity. I did. Still trying to catch up. Or here's another time. When pressing for change is going to blow up the relationship. It's a time for compromise. Learn to compromise when you can. And then the last one on our list today is um, put your agreement in writing. Um, here's what scriptures say about that. And then quickly, we're, just, we're at the end here. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. They wrote it down. They put it in writing. They wrote it down. And you can read this passage, you know, continue on yourself at some point. But basically, the point here was that they wrote it down. Here's a quick suggestion of things that you might want to consider writing down. Okay? I mean, just, these are just some simple thinking. This is something that Lisa and I did a long time ago. We don't actually have this list anymore, but we did at one time. Um, rules for fair fighting. Right? We had, a, we had a list. We don't check them. We've got to memorize. You, know, you don't attack the person. You confront the behavior, right? It's not, you never say never. You never say always. You know those rules you know, for fair fighting? You don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't bring up the past. The past is the past. Leave it back there. You, you don't compare to others. I don't want to hear from her that I don't cook like her mother. <laughs> Okay, rules for fair fighting. Another one, family rules for spending. (laughs) Excuse me. I mean, I can tell you how many families get divided over the use of credit and and rules. Or there's like, here's what I want you to do, but I'm not going to do it myself kind of stuff. Rules for spending. And, and, And it's not like a contract, which is what, you know, writing this down isn't like a contract where you do it to protect yourself from somebody you don't trust. This is two people forming a plan to walk together, to find peace together. It's a, it's a cooperative. It's not, it's not a protection. You know, family values, write them down. You can write down your family values. We, um, here's another one. This is a funny example to me, and we chuckle about it now, but Decades ago, my family moved from one house we were living in to a, another house we were living in. And this house, um, it was, happened to be on a lake, and um, our children were small. And we were concerned about their safety. They kind of were, they knew how to swim, but it's a lake. You know, stuff can happen to children. And so we created this whole list of rules. And Lisa and I went to the, uh, the Navy, Army-Navy surplus store, and we bought a bunch of insignias of rank, Right? Okay, this is crazy, all right? All right, but this is what we did. And we said, okay, when you have demonstrated these three things, you earned this rank. And with this rank came a privilege, okay? And without that privilege, like, if you don't have this rank, you will not be on the dock without a life jacket. And then if you do these three things, then you can actually put the oars in the boat and go out on the lake by yourself. And if you earn this rank, you can take a friend with you if they have a life jacket too. I mean, so we created this list of rules, and my kids, I don't remember. Rachel, which rank did you leave off at? Okay, JG. She only made it to JG. What did you have to do? Okay, I don't know what she had to do to get that. Yeah, but the point was, we wrote it down. And our children understood the rules for going near the water. And it was there to protect them. 
And it was there to help Lisa and me figure out how to teach our children the safety of, you know, anyway. Or here's another one. If you're an employer, terms of employment. There are lots of reasons to put things down in writing, agreements in writing. Okay, so we're basically at the end. There, there it is. Five principles from Acts 15 about how to deal with opposition. If you will do these things, I will promise you, you will find that God is bigger than your opposition. Let's pray. Lord, um, I want to thank you that we can learn from the mistakes, you know, seeing that there was no small dissension between two of your big-time leaders in, in your word that were leaders in your body. That's just, it kind of frees us up some to realize that godly people can really disagree strongly about things. And then there's a pathway forward for them. Grant that to us, Lord. I'm going to pray about conflict maybe that's in our lives today or that's coming and we don't even see it coming yet. Help us, Lord, to find ways where both sides will proffer and win from the solution. That there doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. That the role of a parent is to build their children into winners, not to dominate them or to control them. To prepare them, Lord, for the day when they can successfully be adults on their own with significantly less guidance. Lord, I want to thank you also for the fact that as a believer, my salvation is completed by what you did and nothing that I do. I don't need to be circumcised. I don't need to do anything on anybody else's checklist other than open my heart and receive the gift. Your scripture says that all who confess, if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth, will be saved. That's all it takes, that you've done the work. But I want to give opportunity right now for anyone in this room who are hearing this message who has never said, I want to receive eternal life from Christ, not based on me, but based upon God's plan. Keep your eyes closed, church. And I just say, if there's anyone here who wants to open your heart to the Lord and say, okay, I'm not going to succeed doing this on my own. I'm going to trust God's way. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm just asking you to open your heart to the King. If you'd like to open your heart, I just want to pray with you. I won't embarrass you. Would you just look up at me and give me a quick hand wave and I won't do anything more than that to identify you. Is that why? Good. Okay. If I've missed you, wave your hand. I don't want to leave anybody out. Lord, I'm so grateful. First off, to be in a room full of people who know you and understand this. Lord, build us into bigger people, bigger hearts. Lord, help us to get that perfect balance between the letter and the spirit because we want to be people people who give away life. In the name of Jesus. Church, would you stand to sing this with us? And I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall we.